welcome to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane Williams and Paul Mason, where they share the latest manufacturing and tech news and explore innovative solutions to help you improve your business. Bruce Lee once said, adapt what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is specifically your own. In today's digital landscape, this philosophy couldn't be more relevant, particularly for businesses looking to leverage technology to solve real business challenges like preventative maintenance. You're listening to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane Williams and Paul Mason. Today we're joined by Brad Parsons, founder of Movis, an Australian IoT success story that has solved the challenge of preventative maintenance using AI. Brad emphasises the need for businesses to experiment and iterate quickly to succeed in today's rapidly changing digital landscape, the importance of collaboration and networking with vendors, partners and industry networks to stay informed about new technologies and opportunities, and Brad's experience with Movis Fit Machine, a product development journey that taught him the importance of failure and continuous improvement. I trust you'll enjoy the interview. So Brad, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. There's been so much talk about Industry 4.0 over the past few years, but a few well-known examples of the applications of IoT, AI, and their enabling business models like servitization and, well, pretty much anything as a service. So Shane and I thought it'd be good to get you on the show and share what you've learned along your Movis journey. So to kick things off, where do you think these kinds of things can really benefit Aussie manufacturers? Sure. Thanks, Paul and Shane, for having me on this morning. I started Movis back in 2015, the whole internet of things. Industry 4.0 was fairly new at that time. You know, we're now eight years down the track. Industry 4.0 is is obviously got a lot of airtime, a lot of thinking, and there's a big scope of that. It's not just about robots running the world. When you sort of narrow it down to what's practical and what's pragmatic and what can you take away, yeah, that whole servitization, a whole machine as a service, I think is a really interesting dimension. You can think about the commercial model. So instead of buying a you know, machine, a half a million dollar machine, a fabrication machine, CNC, lathe, whatever it is, instead of actually purchasing that up front, you may be able to rent that. You may be able to you know, buy it on a per unit basis. So if you're a manufacturer who has sort of peaks and troughs, much like the miners do and a lot of other cyclical businesses, you know, may be able to afford um, more costs when you're doing well. But at the same time, when you're not doing so well, you don't want to be holding that cost. And if you've sunk capital cost in that, then the whole servitization thing can really bring a lot of benefit. So I imagine you've got experience dealing with lots of customers right across the country from small to very big. I'm curious in the SME market, given the size of the typical Australian manufacturing business, how have you seen these sorts of you know offerings adopted and what success looks like? Yeah, so we, Movis partnered with the AMGC, the Australian Manufacturing Growth Centre, a couple of years ago, actually. We ran a lot of projects for some small businesses. Generally, most of those businesses, I think it's about 94% are under 20 staff. So my father was a manufacturing business owner, so I totally appreciate that. What they're generally looking for is, you know, first off, how can I control costs when, when we're looking at a compressor that's, you know, running 24 by 7 when the plant's only running maybe 6 by 12. Having visibility that compressors running all of that time and the energy bill, which is obviously rising in the last couple of years, they're kind of really pragmatic examples where they're focused on, you know, key assets or they're focused on key pieces of machinery. If you can kind of digitize those machinery, you can get an understanding of when they're running or when they're not. They're really practical examples, you know, looking at the air conditioning for the building, being able to understand that it's, you know, it was on midnight on Saturday and we saw one manufacturing plant where you could actually see that there was an extra shift that was running at midnight. 
on a Saturday night. What's going on there? You know, so that kind of key visibility is really important, I think. And digitization will help you do that. And I imagine the extension of that is, and you kind of talk, you alluded to it in terms of budget, right? So there's going to be mm. elements of where are my costs going? There's probably an element of how do I smooth out some of those costs or alternatively, how do I only attract the costs when I'm being productive and making money out of those? What do you think are some of the common barriers or misconceptions that folks make when they're looking at these technologies? Yeah, I guess uh, for a lot of people, it's pretty scary. The media doesn't help. You know, AI is going to run the world. We can see that whole sort of secrecy and, and security of, well, I put a sensor on my machine, you know, somebody's going to hack it and turn my machines off. You know, there's there's a lot of fear out there, but I guess it's it's coming down to education and understanding. The robots aren't going to run the world anytime soon, but, you know, this is just another tool. This is just a smarter way of doing things, making decisions faster and more efficiently. You've just got to consider it as that. When we when we had sort of digital lighting technology or, you know, digital CNCs before we had to set up manually, you know, just think of it as an extension of that, is giving you more features and more benefits. But you've really got to understand, you know, what's important in your business and how can you leverage that technology. Yeah, I think you're spot on, Brad. I think we can sometimes get caught up in the AI hype, I guess. So I think like you mentioned offline when we were chatting before about your phone, you don't think about your phone as AI in your hand. Mm. Uh, it's just a tool that you use day to day. I mean, there's probably plenty of other examples about that. So I guess on from that then, do you want to tell us a bit about Mobis and your fit machine and, and how does that help manufacturers, you know, leveraging those technologies as a tool with IoT and AI and all these great industry 4.0 buzzwords all in the yeah. one. How have you leveraged all that to help businesses? Yeah. I mean, we're pretty fortunate. The team have done really well. We've expanded the business out to about 18 countries starting in 2015. But really, it's about trying to solve customers' problems, whether it's you know an air conditioner that's failing in a shopping center you know, through to an oil and gas business that's having a wellhead issue really trying to help them understand how do they make better decisions? How do they make better maintenance decisions? How do they know that the machine's going to fail before it does? When you look at the sit machine sensor or the mobile sensor, it just looks like another sensor. It does have AI in the background. To be honest, that's that's pretty fancy maths. It's taking a lot of data and it's looking through the data and it's looking to understand what are the patterns, what are the differences, and floating that up to an engineer to say, hey, this compressor is not as healthy as it was, you might want to take a look at that. And that's what you've got to consider the whole AI digitization is. It's doing that sort of grunt work for you so that you can really focus on the high value activities in your business. So Mobis, you know, is helping anywhere from a 10-person business all the way up to multinationals in multiple countries. But for each of them, it's, it's really about running high utilization on the machines, Avoiding downtime, saving energy because, you know, poorly maintained machines actually use more energy. There's more friction. So for businesses, it does have all the buzzwords and all those things, but practically that it, it's about saving money. It's about reducing downtime. It's about, you know, being more predictable and less risky as a business. But I might ask you, that given we're on the topic of data and how it gets used in a business and whatnot, and we were earlier talking about this concept of certification, I think there's conversation to be had around how, even if you're a small manufacturer and you're sitting here going, oh, no, AI scares me and I don't want to talk about the robots and whatnot, but they're probably even just more practical 
uses for data in your day-to-day operational improvement and better efficiency and so on and so forth. Have you seen any examples of how smaller organizations are using the data that either comes out of their tools or any other way to improve efficiency or to drive growth? Yeah, absolutely. I guess we're fortunate we see a lot of businesses. I'll give a plug to a couple of local ones. So in Melbourne, there's a company called Davy Pumps. They're a pool pump manufacturer. They service a residential market, commercial market. But what they're doing is they're using another Melbourne company called Team Assurance. So Team Assurance has a mobile app and a big, you know, 70-inch screen. So what happens is as the operators and as the maintenance technicians are kind of working through the machine, working through the factory, they might see an oil spill and they might see, you know, a, a bit of rust on a key piece of, you know, infrastructure or something like that. So they take a note of it, they log it in the system. The next day, 7 a.m. in the morning, 8 a.m. in the morning, the whole team, the whole factory is sort of sitting around this big screen and they're deciding their priorities. They're seeing the metrics, you know, how's our throughput, how's our performance, have we got any safety concerns that we need to be aware of. So it's really rallying that whole team at, at Davies Pumps around this screen so they have a single perspective, single pane of glass, I think the term is, where they can all focus on what's important. They can all focus to understand what needs to be done that day. So it's really introducing that digital layer as a support, as a guide, but also obviously to improve the efficiency and effectiveness and safety of that business. That's a great example. You know, there's AI in the background, there's all the, you know, all the buzzwords are there, but, you know, it's really helping that business work more efficiently, more effectively. And again, it is a digital tool that's leveraged well. Yeah, I think Team Assurance is a great example of really taking that old gray-haired man of the old lean culture and digitizing it, I guess, and, you know, really adding that value straight to the factory floor. It's one of the best examples, actually, of, you know, digitized factory and good use of tech there. Yeah. I mean, the Mova sensors integrate with Team Assurance, so if there's an alert, they can pop it through, and you want your systems to talk to each other when you're looking at buying new equipment. Can I talk to this equipment? Can I get the data off it? Do I have the rights to that? Is there a data sharing agreement, or does the vendor still own the data? If the vendor's somewhere in the closet, it says the vendor owns the data, you probably want to be asking that question. Um, the machinery is valuable, but the machine data is actually becoming more and more valuable. So if you don't have legal access to get hold of that, then yeah, start asking the question. I was just going to say that's data is the new gold. Yeah. And I think getting access to that data and working with your team to leverage that, you know, assign someone to be your chief digital officer, your chief data officer. You might only have a very small business, but get someone, you know, there's, there's a young gun in there that naturally just picks up the technology, a, a him or a her that says, you know, we should be going down digital. Give them the opportunity, give them the bandwidth, give them the time to explore these things and understand what the future of your business might look like. There's a really good article that came out this week, which talks about how CEOs could think about their business. You know, they should appoint a chief entrepreneur as a peer to the CEO to say, right, we're going to help you rethink the business model of our business. And that that chief entrepreneur actually has sort of peer rights to the CEO. CEO is running the business now. The chief entrepreneur is building the business of the future and because that's changing. The life of a business is coming down to sort of 14 years by sort of 2025. That's an S&P US 500 mm. business, the average life of a business there. You've got to reinvent yourself right? yeah. <laughs> continuously. So, you know, continuous improvement and continuous reinvention. 
So Brad, given most of our manufacturing businesses here in Australia, are sort of small operations, like you mentioned, less than 20 people, you know, mm-hmm. mum and dad operations, we just start thinking about controlling that data or at least knowing who owns the data, where it lives. So I guess my question is, what advice have you got for people in that sort of big, scary old IoT, AI-enabled world now? What, what sort of practical advice can you give to businesses out there? Yeah, I think at a very high level, look at your business, get some butcher paper, get in your, in your office somewhere, try and figure out what the next sort of three to five years looks like. You know, you used to do strategic planning sort of five to 10 years. That's no longer the case. So looking at sort of three to five, I've got a, a business I'm working with that'll be down in Melbourne and later this month which is actually doing exactly that. They're kind of looking at, you know, they're, they're a fairly big business, about 1,200 people, but they're, they're literally butcher's paper in the boardroom trying to figure out what that looks like. And the applicability, you know, comes down to a 20-person business where you're looking at what are my big investments over the next three to five years? What do my team look like over the next three to five years? Are there changes on the horizon? You know, maybe the owner of the business is looking to transition out you know, there's there's all those sort of things, but with those transitions, with those changes becomes an opportunity to, you know, rethink it. With those major capital purchases, can I introduce more digital in the business? That that whole data thing is is really, you know, can I get access to the data? Is it valuable? Get the vendors in. Get them I mean, they'd love the opportunity to tell you what they're doing and what they're planning on doing. Uh, I think having them involved in that discussion, getting them really open on their side and, you know, be open on your side, collaborate, look to others in your industry, you know, look to others in your supply chain. Maybe it's some of your material suppliers. What are they doing? Um, this is a, a ever shrinking world that we're living in, right? Digital's make it even more so. But if you can help that by looking along your supply chain, looking at your partner networks, looking in your industry networks and collaborating. You'll hear the word ecosystem more and more and more. You know, it's going to be thrown at you. The big companies like Google and Amazon and Facebook, they do this. That's their business. But now even small businesses need to think about that. So pragmatically, look at your costs, look at where your revenue comes from, look if there's an opportunity to kind of leverage digital and all of that. I think the extension of that you mentioned a second ago was getting the partners in. I think that's often underappreciated or overlooked in that, there's this kind of tendency to go, oh, they're going to try and sell me something and anything I tell them is going to give them a competitive advantage over bleeding me and that sort of stuff. But I think if we can reframe that thinking to go, if you took a good hard look at yourself and said, I honestly don't know what's coming down the pipeline in terms of where technology is going, and I bring them in on that basis and go, look, I'm not buying anything for five years. So you can put me as a prospect in you know, 2030, but I want to know in 2030 what I should be expecting to buy, what you think the financial model needs to look like, to help me plan and then say, well, actually, you know what? The delay there that you go, I know I'm going to have to replace that, but not now. Do I need to be budgeting for a big capital outlay or is there another model by which I could do this? And three or four lathe vendors, right? Well, what, what does the technology look like? What can I learn from that tech? What data is it going to give me? How could I leverage that in my business to improve efficiency? Yeah, as you said, this thing's going to tell me when it's running and when it's not. And I'll know that in any given shift, it only runs for 30% of the time. So can I run multiple shifts or can I change the way the shifts work to get more value from this investment? Can I change the financial model to enable me to get better leverage it from an OPEX perspective? You know, there's a whole bunch of opportunities there by bringing some partners into the tent 
rather than considering them as foes. Yeah, I mean, their, their goal is to sell you something. Let's let's yeah. not be unclear about that. But your goal is to be a sophisticated and educated buyer. As a vendor, you know, I don't like selling to people who don't know what they want to do with the technology mm. because I can tell you it doesn't go anywhere. Mm. I'd rather have a company that is understanding of where they want to go and what they want to do then you can work actively and collaboratively. And I'll, as a vendor, I'll invest more time in those type of businesses because I know that they're willing to work with us. And as vendors will share a lot more about their vision when they have someone sitting across the other side of the table that becomes you know, a collaborative partner. And that's the kind of vendors you want to be working with, the vendors that also work with other vendors as well. The digital world is a digitally connected world. And if you've got a, a vendor that says, oh, no, we're the best, we don't need to talk to anyone else, probably a red flag. If you've got a vendor that thinks more broadly, I've just put, you know, new solar panels on the roof and some friends of mine said, oh, you're in tech, you know, why did you pick that one? And I, there's, there's hundreds of different products out there. This one was really good because they connected to all the other things that I know I'm going to need. You know, it's, I don't have them now. I don't have an EV car yet. But they are thinking, you know, along the lines of the digitally connected future world. And that's why I picked them. It wasn't because of the cheapest price or, you know, because they were a red sticker or whatever it was. The salesman told me is because they, they thought about a digitally connected future and they had that exposed. And I think with vendors, you really want to be asking those sort of questions as well. Can I just throw one more question in there, Brad? I guess if you're a product developer out there, given you've been through that Fit Machine Mobis journey of developing, commercializing, getting the product yeah. to market, what's the one or two tips you could give to businesses out there also trying their hand in the IoT or even any kind of product launch area? Yeah, I'm actually got quite a few of them talking to me at the moment. And I guess the, the biggest learning is it's all about experimentation. Uh, can you have as many experiments as possible? What can you learn from? How can you quickly qualify those experiments in or out? You know, if they're qualified out, they're, they are a failure, but we learned something. It's a process of iteration and the speed at which you learn and fail, but learn from that failure is the key to your success and growth. You, you're not going to get it right the first time. We never did. You know, we had some really good wins and we continue to have really good wins, but Nobody sees the failures. You've got to fail a lot in order to succeed. And that's really about having that mindset of continuous improvement. And I think manufacturers need to think that as well. Failure is not a weakness. It's actually a strength because you had the endeavor, the drive, and the passion to, to understand that didn't work. I think Edison and Lightbob, would he fail like a thousand times before he got the right one? Yeah. I don't have that kind of passion. You know, he clearly did, but... In businesses, you have to learn to fail because that's the only place you do learn is from failure. It reminds me of the story of SpaceX. You know, launched three rockets in attempting to hit orbit and all three of them blew up before they got one up there. You know, it's like that. You're not going to get it right the first time, but each time they went, right, what failed? How do we solve for that? Let's launch another one and see if we nailed it this time. Absolutely. In software development terms, they call it a retro or retrospective. You know, you're kind of looking back and, and say, well, what worked? What didn't? And we do that. Uh, and obviously, we do that on a quarterly basis. We literally do you know, planning every 12 weeks. The business cycle is no longer three to five years. As a software and technology vendor, you need to shorten your planning cycles. But it's not you know, a whiz-bang, get Accenture and the big consultants in. It's literally, what are we doing well? 
what aren't we doing well? What do we need to focus on? Can we get real-time metrics, real-time feedback? And digital can give you that. It's just a matter of trying to instrument all of those things up and, and showing that you're performing and, and you're doing well. So thanks, Brad, for joining us today. I think that was really insightful and good information for not just businesses out there trying to implement smarter technology in their facilities, but also people on the other end designing it and getting it to market. So thanks for joining us and we'll catch you soon. Thanks very much, Paul. And thanks for Shane for the opportunity to come here today. Thanks everyone for joining us today. Join us next time when we talk with Sam Thomason from Konica Minolta on modern autonomous mobile robots and how they can help improve safety and reduce waste in your business. See you then. Thanks for tuning in to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane and Paul, recorded on the traditional lands of the Bunurong and Wurundjeri people. For more information, jump on the manufacturingtech.au website. Remember to hit the follow button to join us again next time as we continue to explore the intersection of manufacturing and technology.